Hello and welcome to the second episode that we're going to do on the Peasants' Revolt, the summer of 1381. This is part of the theme study that we're looking at of power and the people. The previous episode goes through the causes of the Peasants' Revolt. So it's very important that you've listened to that one before you listen to this one. Otherwise, you're not really going to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Which, I suppose, uh, kicks us straight into what they are actually doing. So it kicks off in south-eastern England, doesn't it? Yes, in a place called Fobbing on the 30th of May. And unsurprisingly, the, the cause of it is taxation. Yeah, It's the poll tax that has upset the people of Fobbing the most. And when the tax collector, John Bampton, turns up, the peasants refuse to pay him. They threaten him with his life. And scared, he rides straight back to London and reports the incident. Mm. And the villagers, knowing that they've done wrong, go into hiding. And that's the mm. start of the actual revolt. Yeah. And it, it spirals very quickly. I think one of the things that's very easy to lose track of when you're looking at this is how fast the whole thing is. It's two weeks. Yes, isn't it? Yeah, in, in the height of the summer, it's yeah. And it, it, you know, Essex, Kent, uh, various groups of villagers join mm. together to create larger groups, and then this becomes a genuine threat to the government. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think it's probably worth our while going through the specific details of what happens when, because you've got that in your books. Yeah. Um, I think if we just pick out some of the key things here, and I think the first thing probably to talk about is what Tyler. Mm. isn't it yes um because as we've said we've got all these disparate groups joining together and as you'll see when we talk about the pilgrimage of grace it's it's all very well having a big group of people together but if there isn't some form of leadership an organization yeah it's not going anywhere and, and he is he, you know he's an inspirational leader mm. he's a good speaker as yeah. well and that's very very important because he manages to pull these various groups of rebels together and make them into a coherent kind of force and uh, that happens in Maidstone in Kent. And then it's at that point where they also release another important individual. Which is John Ball, yeah. who we've talked about before. Uh, the radical preacher who wants to see the um, who wants to see the church broken down. And also mm. is preaching this, this idea of equality of everybody being the same. Uh, I think it's also worth pointing out that a couple of sources seem to suggest that Watt Tyler's had some sort of military training. Yes. Yeah. And that I think that's certainly evident in the way that he's able to organise them. And the other thing I would mention is that John Ball brings with him this network of other radical preachers mm. and they become a communication method because they can read and write and they pass messages between themselves. Yeah, and it is at that point as well when Tyler and Ball become the leaders of this that some of the most serious incidents of the, mm. the killing of the Archbishop of Canterbury Absolutely. and then when they destroy very purposefully the tax records. Mm. And this is a pattern you see again and again. They're attacking the structures of the government itself and the records to make sure there's no record of who has paid and who has not. But I think this killing of the Archbishop is probably worth digging into in a little detail here because he's, he's hated, isn't yeah. he? He is, but he's, he's not the only one who's hated no, as well. Very you know, true. It, this is this is part of the theme where you have individuals, these unpopular advisors, mm. uh, individuals who, because a lot of the time you get these peasants and these rebels who they've got grievances, but they don't want to be out and out against the king. Yeah, and so people like the Archbishop of Canterbury, John of Gaunt, as well as another one, they become yeah. 
figures of hatred that the rebels are able to focus on. And this is this is true all the way through history. It's true throughout this theme study. People don't want to go against necessarily Henry VIII. They're blaming mm-hmm. his advisors and Anne Boleyn. Yep. They're not necessarily blaming Charles I. They're blaming... Um, the Archbishop Lord, for yes. example. And you see this right the way up into the 20th century, uh, straight into Nazi Germany, where you have people blaming Himmler and and everybody else, and saying, if only the Fuhrer knew this would not be happening. And the, and the same in uh, Stalin's yeah. Russia, where they don't believe that Stalin knows anything about it. There's this distance between the ruler figure mm. and the advisors. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, it's a very common tactic. Yeah. And, and in, in speaking of tactics, it's probably worthwhile looking at the, the way that the peasants mm. and the king conduct themselves during this um, revolt, because... It is one of the uh, practice questions. Yeah. You never know. It could be on the exam. Mm-hmm. So we might as well look at it. So the peasants, what's their sort of overriding tactics? It's a, it's a number of things. There's basically two phases here, isn't there? Uh, there's the start of it in fobbing, where it's very much disorganised, where it's just an outpouring of sudden anger, where you get a couple of clerks beheaded and burning down some houses. Then... As it moves to Maidstone, it starts to become more purposeful. And this is when Watt Tyler gets involved. And now there's an actual plan. Now we've got the attacking of the tax records, the burning of who's paid the poll tax and who hasn't, and a very definite drive towards London, but also a clear list of grievances and demands. And the idea appears to be to arrive at London with a show of force... Because I think some of the violence of what happens in London is not down to Tyler. Tyler's no. trying to stop this because he wants to negotiate. Yeah, it's a classic case, isn't it, of, of pillage mm. and you know men, probably drunk as well, Absolutely. going on Definitely. a rampage. Definitely. And I suppose it's worth pointing out at this point that really there is no earthly way this mob of peasants could have got into the city. Yeah. When they arrive at the city of the walls, the reason the king hasn't left is because he thinks he's perfectly safe. They are let in by the merchant classes of London. Yes, this, yeah, they, they have support within London, and their reasons for the, uh, supporting the peasants is they too have grievances against some of these advisers, and, and it's the Savoyards in particular, who are who the... the sort of figures of hatred for these people yeah. you know, the merchants they don't like the fact there's so many foreign merchants in London yeah. they don't like the fact that the king has so many foreign favourites yes and so they view the peasants as a way of actually getting some leverage for themselves yeah. putting pressure on the king let's get rid of these people you should be looking for born and bred yeah. um, advisors and, and merchants to be making the money and of course the peasants are quite happy to oblige literally the streets run red with the blood of these foreign merchants mm-hmm. there's people being hacked up all over the place and they burn down the Savoy Palace I suppose it's quite fortunate from John of Gaunt's point of view that he's out of the country at this point because if he'd been there yes. he'd be in the same state as Archbishop as Subbishop, yeah, without a doubt he would yeah so what about the king then? Now the king's got, I mean, he's obviously in a tight position here, but he's got... And he's a, only young, he's yeah. 14, he's, he's a kid. But the way he responds to it is actually... It's incredible. It's quite impressive. It is. Just, just so we're all clear, and just to remind you of this, because I, I keep saying this is one of my favourite little bits of history, I do love this. It's got everything you could possibly want. It's got the meeting uh, on the field outside of London where Watt Tyler presents the demands. And the king agrees now 
Here's my question to you, mi compadre. Right? That first time they meet, when he agrees to their demands, when he says, all right, we will get rid of uh, service, we will get rid of the statute of labourers, people can be paid all the various bits and pieces. Basically, we'll dismantle the feudal system. We'll give you what you want. Does he mean it? Of course he doesn't mean it. No. <laughs> this is why it's impressive. You know, As you said, he's a very, very young man. Mm. He's faced with a mob that if they decided... They could attack, he could lose his life. He's they, have, they have already uh, physically attacked, thrown things at his mother, at the Queen Mother. Yeah, and, the, yeah. Point. and so he's, you know, he keeps his cool, mm-hmm. he knows what they're there for, and so he says, yeah, okay, I'll give you your demands. But it is just a way to play for time. This isn't a genuine, a genuine promise to the rebels. Now, you see, I'd like to throw out the alternative here, which is on the 14th of June, this first meeting... I think maybe, 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 maybe he does. Because they come to him and they say, we are your loyal servants. Mm. We want to get rid of your advisors and we will do what you want. And he realises that he can control them. Mm -hmm. And he can send them on their way and they go. And possibly this young king sees this as an opportunity to get out from under the thumb of these people of here. Now... In any case, they go on the rampage again that night, don't they? Yes, yeah. And also, when they come back and meet again the next day, there's been a change. Because there's been a couple of extra demands added, and one of these has not been written by Watt Tyler because there's a demand to close down the church, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and to, give to the redistribute land the land. Yeah. yeah. And that, that almost communistic approach can only come from one man. That's come from John Ball, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would put the alternative argument as well. Um, I mean, it's it's perfectly possible that Richard thought if he gave in to some of these demands, then he could control them. But I think that there's a there's a little bit of a, a bitter irony here by the peasants actually saying, you know, like, we, we are your men, we are loyal supporters. I you could argue that Richard also sees this as weakness on their behalf. Mm. So well. You know, he actually says it, doesn't he? The next day, when they come out, and when what time? Belains you are, yeah. Belains you shall remain. He's. It. It seems to me that he's got contempt for these people. All right. So let's let's talk about the death of what time? Yeah. So what Tyler dies on the fifteenth of June at Smithfield. Uh, Depending on which version, what seems clear is that he stands in front of the king and he does something rude. Whether he spits or whether he just swills his mouth out because he's having a drink, he does something that the people who are with the king see as being rude. Yeah. Now, here's my question for you, all right? Is this just one of those things that happens in the heat of the moment? Or is this or is it, murder? Is it planned? Yeah. When those men, those armed men, ride out with the king on the morning of the 15th of June, under the hot sun, because yeah. <laughs> we know it's hot because he asked for a drink, Yeah. so we know it's a hot day, When they, and they're wearing full armour, so when they ride out there, are they there as a bodyguard for the king, or, or are they there... For an ulterior purpose. Are they a death squad? Yeah. What do you reckon? Well, I, I think it's um, a case of... If the opportunity arose, I reckon they would have considered it genuinely. If we can, see, we I think this guy out. I think what Tyler was never going to leave 
that yeah. field alive. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think they necessarily wanted to do it the way they did because yeah. at this point things suddenly spiral out of control. Mm. But I think the intention was always that Tyler would be captured, taken yeah. away. I yes, I I think they they've come ready for a fight. Yeah, and it, you know, I, it is this spur of the moment as well when the king rides forward. You know. I am your leader, follow me. Fantastic moment. So those of you that aren't familiar with it, can't remember. Yeah. So you you tell the story. Well, so after Tyler is killed, the the peasants are obviously very confused about what's just happened, but some of them get ready to fight, and it appears that some of the bowmen are going to shoot, and apparently the king rides forwards and says, will you shoot your king? I am your leader, follow me. Mm. Now, it could have just been a you know, a brilliant spur of the moment speech and he wins them around and, uh, you know, the peasants, they do it, they follow him mm-hmm. and the revolt is over. But I think, you know, the, the king, going back to what we said earlier, he already knows that these peasants have made it clear, we're not, we're not against you, mm-hmm. your majesty, it's not you, this is all the other people that we are against. Yeah. So, again, the knights, the armed men, the killing, I don't know. See, I'm an old romantic. I, yeah. I like the idea yeah. that this 14-year-old kid just suddenly realises yeah. this is all about to go horribly, horribly yeah. wrong. I have to do something. Yeah. And he rides forward and he saves the day. Yeah, the year nine to the rescue. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then he, he shows, because one of the things you always find is that year nines tend to be very reactionary mm. and quite violent. And that fits with what's coming next, doesn't it? Yes. Because up until this point, I think one thing we've seen if you actually break down the timeline of what happens in the June of 1381, the government's caught completely. Yeah, they're... Absolutely no plan to deal with this whatsoever. They don't have a police force, they don't have a standing army, their only troops they could call on are the actual peasants who are revolting. Revolting, yeah. Um, and, And it's not until after the 15th of June that they become active rather than reactive. Yeah. And my word, aren't they active? Oh, they are. I mean, they wait for the peasants to return home. The peasants are back in their villages. Uh, King Richard's promises are in their heads. You know, they're thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, the king's on our side. Um, But what Tyler, I mean, his head's put on a spike, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Um, Other supporters are hanged from the gallows, but it's it's the rounding up of Mm -hmm. the leaders. You know, they... They go round the village, they round them up, they hang them. Yeah. I believe they hang them from and trees. They, they confiscate their lands yeah. as well to punish the families. They take the goods. Yeah. John Bull, yeah. hanged and then cut into pieces. It, it is a bloodbath and it's months. It just keeps going for months and mm. months and months. Um, it makes that year a particularly blood-soaked one. Yeah. And frankly, when you're talking about English history, there's a lot to... You know, there's a lot to cover. Yeah, and, but Richard justifies himself. Mm-hmm. Yes, like, I was forced to make these yes, promises. Absolutely. I was, I was never meaning to make these promises. Yeah. You did this to other kings in the past. You forced us to make promises that we, you know, then had to abide by. Yeah. Echoes of Magna Carta, yeah. provisions of Oxford. Yeah. All right. So that's where we are. The revolt. I think we can safely say is a failure. Mm-hmm. It's it, it doesn't accomplish anything. No, not in the short term, no. Ah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does the Peasants' Revolt accomplish in the long term, then? Right. Well, I mean, there are quite a few. Okay, mm. so first of all, one of the main 
reasons, the poll tax, mm -hmm. okay, well, the poll tax itself is never repeated. There are similar charges, and, and you know they still have taxes, but they never reach the levels that they did before. So that demand of fairer taxes, no poll tax, that's achieved. Yeah. Um, in the long term, there's also an economic upturn. You know, wages start to rise as well, um, and so because there's still a lack of workers, you know that that's mm. never actually been resolved. They're still in demand, so they can still demand higher wages and the landowners they eventually they, they pay up and Parliament is forced to drop its attempts to try to control the wages of labourers yeah. as well so uh, Parliament the King they do learn the lesson from this mm. we can't take the peasants for granted they are actually a valuable resource and they should be I suppose paid for what they do yeah. you know in a more just way and within a hundred years mm -hmm. really certainly within a century uh, the feudal system, as yes. we've known it, is gone. Yeah, and you're into the new sort of three-tiered system of Tudor England. Yeah, and see, this is the thing. You know, with this new sort of more affluent peasant class, it's a slow process, but they're able to. Some of them are able to buy their land, mm -hmm. so they become independent yeah. landowners, uh, freed from the demands of a lord, and. Yeah, like you say, within a hundred years they were free men, and even even all of the serfs are no longer tied yeah. to that land. They can move and sell their labour to the highest bidder, and the idea of unpaid service, yeah, the other big bugbear, sort of drips away. Yeah, so we can say that the peasants' revolt fails. However, it does accomplish its aims in the long term. Yeah. Which would be a good place to stop it, except, I did say in the last episode, we were going to come back to this idea of historiography. This idea of how different historians would view it. So what we just said to you is the bare bones, but there are different ways of looking at it. Yeah. So, I'm now going to ask you to put your Marxist head on. Okay, right. <laughs> so, from a socialist and Marxist point of view... Yeah. How would a Marxist or socialist historian like Eric Hobson, what would he say about the uh, Peasants' Revolt? Okay, so he, he would argue that it's incredibly significant mm -hmm. because of the class of people that was involved in this rebellion, this mm -hmm. revolt. It was the first time that the peasants or the working classes, as some Hobson would have been referring to them, actually started a rebellion to try and improve their own situation. And, of course, they do actually have their situation improved in the long term. Yeah. And uh, you could also say it's the first time that the working classes, the peasants, have become politicised. So it's like a political awakening mm -hmm. for the lower classes. If you think about other topics that you studied before this, with Magna Carta mm -hmm. and with the origins of Parliament... It isn't the peasants. This is no. still a very high social class who are instigating these rebellions. This is the first genuine attempt by those at the bottom of the pile to improve yeah. their lot in life. And if I put on my economic historian's head, mm -hmm. it's a pointless waste of time, this revolt, because it doesn't accomplish anything that isn't going to happen anyway, because the driving force here is the lack of workers. Mm -hmm. This revolt, whether it happened or not, within a 100 years the result would still be the same. You would still have these people as freemen with the economic freedom to buy land, to move and everything because their their labour has picked up value. Yeah. And I suppose, it, and you know, and that's completely valid, but we could only make that judgment with hindsight. Absolutely. Uh, at the time. You know, if you're a peasant at the time, 
they wouldn't have known that. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, absolutely true. And then I suppose the last one, from a political historian's point of view, what would they say about the ideas that have come out here? Yeah, these, these are ideas, I suppose I've touched on it earlier, about the awakening of, mm. of the lower classes. This, when you put it in conjunction with like the birth of Parliament and so yeah. on, what we are seeing is a slow erosion of, of the like the ultimate authority of the king yeah. as being viewed as somebody who's infallible and all-powerful. And it starts with the people that are closer to him in the social, you know, with the, the dukes, the barons, and so on. But now, as we're getting further down the line uh, towards the peasants, it's it's part of that shift, isn't it, in the power between the king and representation of people, yeah. and it's narrowing. Yes, all the power time. of the king is. is narrowing slowly. It's and the power of the people is rising slowly. And yeah. Obviously, we're still a long way from it, but you could say that the peasants' revolt is like a kickstart, isn't it, yeah, for it those. Is. For the lower classes, this is us, we are awake, you now have to take consideration of us and our needs. And in terms of the actual, the, the way the ideas are being expressed, I think it's worth saying that looking forward to some of the other topics we're going to talk about, you could drop John Ball in the Putney debates in the 1640s yeah. and he would be quite at home he'd be a good leveller wouldn't he? You, you could <laughs> stick him in a, in a room with the levellers and they're talking the same language. Yeah. These these ideas that arrive here in the summer of 1381, they keep percolating, yeah. and they're going to find their ultimate expression three, four, five, six hundred years down the line. Yeah. It's part of a long tradition, isn't it? It is. Long tradition of protest and the fight for rights, essentially. Mm. And that's why it's a fascinating little two weeks in the hot summer of 1381. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, the next episode will be on the Pilgrimage of Grace. So we'll get dig into a few bits and pieces of religious jiggery-pokery. Thank you very much for listening, and good luck in your exams. <laughs>